Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skershaw. And I'm Josh Galecki. And today, we're talking about Pokemon Legends Arceus, developed by Game Freak and published by Nintendo and the Pokemon Company for Nintendo Switch in 2022. We'll be talking spoilers, so just a heads up if you are sensitive to that. Uh, so, Josh, we're back again for another Pokemon game. <laughs> we're exactly one full Pokemon game behind right now, since I believe neither of us have played Scarlet or Violet. <laughs> well, you know, you talk about being behind. Um, this is the third Pokemon game I've ever played. I played um, <laughs> Red growing up, and then I did Sword for the podcast, and now Arceus. So you're 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 back, as far as what I'm I'm hearing. You know, you're that's two in a row. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was probably a good like decade or two between Pokemon games for me. But hey, that's a uh, not a f- something you can say about every franchise, huh? Yeah, and I think it does speak to like the the series longevity that you were able to pick it up and like it still felt natural. And I think you know, talking about Pokemon, I, I know we mentioned this when we covered Sword and Shield, but it to me the video games kind of feel ancillary to the multimedia. Um, juggernaut that is Pokemon these days. You know, I, I think we're, we're probably most interested in the video games, but we're probably in the minority there. You know, there is mobile <laughs> games, TV shows, movies, plushies, um, etc. But, um, you know, for my money, um, I, I do still like me a good old-fashioned Pokemon video game. <laughs> well, thinking about the video games, too, one of the things I find it kind of interesting to do is just, I like, um, you know, in the first game there were what 15 types 12 types something like that of pokemon you could have and subsequent games added a few more but i think they've stopped like they added uh what they add they added uh dark because ghost and psychic was overpowered yeah Mm -hmm. so there's dark steel and fairy and then they're just like okay that's enough like (laughs) it would be an easy thing for a new uh a new entry in the genre to just be like, and now we have lava type Pokemon uh, that does different things. I mean, there's ground and rock already, so it could. It's not like lava and fire couldn't be different. So I think what you're what you're talking about here actually does exist, and it's just all in the the uh, the custom Pokemon, the homebrew Pokemon scene. Um, I believe Cyber and Nuclear are are very popular ones in in those homebrew type games nuclear but, um, pokemon <laughs> right, i hope exactly. they're used responsibly <laughs> no invasions about uh pmds d- ppmds yeah pokemon of, <laughs> pokemon of mass destruction <laughs> and we're only about two decades behind with that joke <laughs> i'd say we're doing pretty good <laughs> but yeah so um you know i, I guess there is something different about this particular iteration of Pokemon, given that it is not a mainline Pokemon entry. It is officially a Pokemon Gaiden game for for my money. You know, Pokemon Legends Arceus or Arceus. Uh, I think we're going to pronounce it interchangeably because the people at Pokemon do. So, yeah. Um, oh, I thought whenever I heard someone say Arceus, I just assumed they were wrong. <laughs> we'll go with Arceus then. But yeah, this this is very much not a mainline Pokemon game in that it has several like very different mechanical aspects going on. And also it completely breaks um, the sort of general um, motif of the game, which is, you know, every game has three starters, eight gyms, someone's PC that you find somewhere in there, the elite four and a jerky rival who always taunts you and then you beat his ass. 
or a friendly rival who just wants to hang out and be friends. And then you beat his ass. Um. <laughs> but in a friendly way. And then you like do the friendly take his lunch money thing too, you know? Exactly. Um, you know, just fair and square. Um, we're playing for pinks here. But yeah, I think um, the there are a lot of changes to, to Pokemon Legends Arceus. And I think that was kind of what made it feel like a, a special and particularly good entry in the series for me. I really like the way that this game sort of changed up the, the formula in that it kind of lets you just choose what you were going to do and focused a lot more on the catching, the researching, the exploring, rather than like setting you on a path through very distinct zones, basically on a tunnel of, of gyms until you beat the game. So Brian, I know this was a uh, one of your top 10 games for last year. It was not for me. And I really <laughs> expected it to get rate very highly when I first started playing it. Like, I love this whole research idea on Pokemon. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later on. Like, there were some things, like, it was a great idea they had to kind of bring things away from this uh, battle and capture um, kind of world of view they have. Uh, so mm -hmm. I liked what they did with that, but I don't know. I feel like they didn't go far enough with it, which I know when you're talking about like a genre, like it has a formula to it and it's a good money making formula. It definitely takes some, um, you know, takes some stones to try to go away from that. But like, I feel, I don't know. I feel like it did. It, it, it went halfway there. I like the direction it's going, but I agree it can go further. So I think I think we're on the same page there. I think like maybe the, the as far as it got just resonated more with me, or maybe you're just seeing more of the the picture of what it could be than I am. Um, but no, I, I I'm kind of with you in that like what they are doing here with the changes that they've made, making battle less modal, making exploration more the focus, and making like discovery of the the world and the land and uh, for lack of a better word the lore a bit more central to it like i think that is all very interesting but maybe before we dive into like some of the more mechanical aspects and the story aspects we just give a quick overview of what exactly is going on in this game yeah sure so yeah in uh pokemon legends rcs you are basically uh a person in presumably from our world who was sent back through time and right in the opening of the game you were spoken to by the god pokemon arceus and you travel back through time to the hisui region which um i guess is based on the japanese island of hokkaido um around the time of its colonization so we're talking like 1300 to 1500 but then you know in pokemon times we're basically just talking settler colonial pokemon um god pokemon arceus gives you a phone and says um, go complete the first Pokedex and then drops you in the ocean and you're rescued by a professor and recruited by uh, the colonists of the island and uh, basically told you must go and research Pokemon or I guess die in the wilderness and that's kind of how the game opens <laughs> it's pretty funny that they're like you will do this job otherwise we'll just leave you to starve outside the town gates <laughs> do you want to do the job yes or no <laughs> If you answer no, you get one of those classic, but thou musts. And um, <laughs> and so you do. And uh, the interestingly enough, the 
the two, there are two native clans on the island, the Pearl Clan and the Diamond Clan, and um, you could probably guess who their patron god Pokemon are uh, based on <laughs> the legendaries of that generation. So <laughs> there, there's all kinds of callbacks to that era, and I think this is obviously like a complete departure from what Pokemon normally does with its stories. You know, usually you're visiting a different region that's based on a different area of the real world. See Scarlet and Violet that just came out at the end of 2022 and are visiting basically the Iberian Peninsula of Pokemon world. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really thought this was like an interesting switch up for that, but also it gives the series this really interesting way of contextualizing what has been done to date like how did pokemon start off becoming friends with humans how was the first pokedex created why does it have references to our world (laughs) so i did like that aspect of it although i will say i missed any diamond or pearl reference having not played those games myself hmm that for what it's worth that was the last entry of the sort of mainline series i played before i fell off for a while and came back for sword and shield as well so i understand that um but yeah, um, I, I and also I don't think you missed much. Like these are very like tangential references. We're talking about like the name of a um, a plane in a specific map corresponds to the name of a city in the game. It's not like very recognizable, especially because we're talking about going from isometric 2D to 3D. Like that's a pretty big stretch, you know. Like you're not going to all of a sudden see a landmark and be like, oh, I get it. Um, well, I'll also say that I just realized now that the Diamond and Pearl clans were referencing the actual games, too. So I think you're at least a little <laughs> step up on me on that one. Oh, that's fair. Um, but yeah, for I guess to, to that end, like the game's progression system is a little bit different than, than what you would normally see, right? I mean, we already talked about how you're basically dropped in the city. The first character you meet, Professor Laventon, he is your your professor, and he does, for what it's worth, give you your one of three starters. You know your um, your leaf grass or or leaf fire or wa- grass fire or water Pokemon starter, which in this game are Rowlet, Cyndaquil, and Oshawott, which are actually from generations I think four, five, and six respectively. So you know they didn't even stick with one generation for what the starters, were, which I also <laughs> kind of like. I haven't played generations with those Pokemons, but I do think one of the things with a game that didn't keep me going like I often have with Pokemon games before, um, I felt like the character designs of the Pokemon in the areas I was at before, um, I wasn't really compelled by them. And I, you mentioned the starting Pokemon, like that little water clown, Oshawott. I just... It's more confusing to me than anything, so I didn't take him. I went with uh, Cyndaquil because looked fun, but uh, yeah, I feel like the character de- designs didn't resonate with me as much. I wasn't excited to see what their next evolution would be. I, for what it's worth, I went with Cyndaquil too, and um, for my money, I think I actually think I like Rowlet the best, sort of the the grass owl type Pokemon. He evolves into kind of like this crazy samurai owl bird looking thing, which hmm. I think. Given the choice, that's probably the one if I played again, would go back and do. But another interesting thing they do is um, at some point in this series, they started doing region-specific Pokemon, and these are all region-specific Pokemon for these starters. So they all, because of that, get a unique final evolution to this game. So Cyndaquil gets a ghost type eventually, which is is neat, as usually it was just a 
I think of fire and fighting type at its final resolution, revolu- excuse me, evolution in its in- initial game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was kind of neat that you got like a special final evolution for the Pokemon uh, starters in this one. Um, you're likewise your your rival in this game. You know, um, you are part of this galaxy expedition team and you come down from the sky and all of a sudden you're like immediately better than the most promising expeditions trainer and uh, immediately they're like well i guess i'm gonna have to stick with you and so you know throughout the course of the game you do sort of have like a friendly rivalry this is another one of those games where they don't make your rival a complete douche they just make them sort of a like person who initially guides you then you surpass them immediately and they're like wow you're cool (laughs) yeah you know like I can't, this is, you know, the second game I've played of Pokemon where your rival just wants to be buddies. And I'm like, no, no, I want to hate you. I want to hate your guts. Bring back the asshole rival. <laughs> I want you to show up after I go through that long and grueling battle and I have one Pokemon left at half health and you like pull up in your convertible and you're like, okay, time to battle guy. <laughs> you know, um, I think I think you're right in that like that is more cathartic to like um, beat the the spoiled Pokemon trainer rather than like you know have this well-meaning friend who like it, it almost feels patronizing which you know um, I think it made more sense in Sword and Shield since you know as we've said before every every entry is meant to be the first possible Pokemon game a person can play um, mm-hmm. but this this game coming pretty hot on the heels of Sword and Shield and very quickly before Scarlet and Violet doesn't strike me as that. Like, I don't think this is necessarily meant to be the first Pokemon game someone picks up and plays. I think it's a little more, um, I think it's a little more mechanically complex than that, especially with how the battle system evolves, which we'll talk about later and um, how open-ended it is. Like, for my money, and I, and maybe this is just me speaking as a person who's understands these games in and outs very well. I don't think it's tutorialized as fully, completely, and exhaustively as most mainline Pokemon entry games. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you on that one. Uh, and there are t- some tutorial parts that are needed due to the different nature of this game. Yeah, uh, totally. And to that end... Um, I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about like what you're actually doing at, at, over the course of the game and you know where you start because this this is not a, a Pokemon game where you are journeying throughout a land in a sequential order. This is a game that is very much hub and spoke and that hub is Jubilife Village. is the headquarters of that galaxy expedition team has a fantastic uh, very chill soundtrack to it um, <laughs> it's probably one of the better soundtrack or tracks in the game although there are a few pretty good ones that i'm sure you'll hear throughout this podcast um but uh i think this this town really was one of the main things that i really liked about it like for my i, I guess i like a hub like i like a place that evolves and changes over time that you kind of get to know and get to know the people in and that that aspect of this really worked for me and this is way more in the vein of like a monster hunter game than it is in the vein of a pokemon game for me like you are setting out on expeditions to a given place and coming back to the town rather than journeying throughout a land 
I do like that uh, there were some of the story characters you'd meet along the way who would take up residence in the town afterwards. And it felt like a growing thing there. It's not just some nameless settlers who come in off the boats, <laughs> although they have those too. But it's like, oh, here's an actual person in here instead of a faceless NPC. You're absolutely right. And, and also, it's very clear that this is a colony, right? Like, it is, it's not in the same style of the indigenous settlements that you do find. And it's, they mention right up front that the colony is less than two years old. Um, it is weird that this is a Pokemon game about colonization. Um, <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, even on, on that note, like the the um, the people already there, they don't use Pokeballs. Like these Pokeballs you have are a new new innovation. And um, mm-hmm. it's funny because, you know, we've all made the jokes about, oh, Pokemon, you capture your best friend and stick them in a tiny room. Um, <laughs> and then you make them fight for you. Yeah, great friends right there. Um, but there's like some characters in this game, uh, some of the people, uh, the native tribes or what have you, the Diamond and Pearl clans, who are like that too. They're like, you can't possibly love Pokemon if you're doing this to them. And then of course they're turned around because they see that your character does love Pokemon doing all these things to them. Um, but it's like, uh, it's interesting that they call out to that and like put that out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like the game is not afraid to like acknowledge some of the central like cognitive dissonance that resides in every pokemon game like my best friend with whom i do dogfighting matches (laughs) 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 it's just a i think they do a little bit better job of characterizing how the like symbiotic relationship between people and Pokemon form. That's kind of like every side quest you're doing in Jubilife Village. And they are extremely basic and for the most part, extremely boring. But like, you know, you talk to like this guard and he's like, man, I am terrified of those Pokemon. I got this spear. If anyone comes near, I'm going to just stab him. But I do like that Pokemon Wurmple. Can you bring me a Wurmple? And so, <laughs> <laughs> so you bring him a Wurmple, and all of a sudden he's like, "Man, this this guy's great. He keeps me company on my watch. He can help me defend the town." And like slowly but surely, every person in town seems to have a story like that, and you sort of start to you know seed the beginnings of the relationship between people and Pokemon, which makes sense because you're you know 500 years in the past or whatever, and mm-hmm. you know the people that are all initially scared because these Pokemon can kill you, um, as is uh, alluded to in like almost every Pokedex entry throughout the course of the series. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. And that's an interesting thing with the quests, too, is there are a lot of requests to see or to have a specific type of Pokemon, um, but that's made a lot easier by the fact that you're going to catch like dozens of each of these guys. Um one of the really interesting things they had in this game was this research kind of thing to fill out your Pokedex. Uh, Like in Mm. previous games, if you see a Pokemon or if you catch a Pokemon, you get its full Pokedex entry. Whereas here you have different sort of missions you need to do. Like maybe you need to catch a Pokemon unawares from the bushes, or maybe you need to see it use certain electric type moves or be defeated by electric type moves. And Mm -hmm. if you collect enough of these entries then you get the Pokédex entry. And one of the entries is always catch one, three, six, or 12 of these Pokémon. Um, so that's one of the easy ways to fill things up is just, oh, 
I'm going to catch another Pokemon here, even though I have already have two dozen of these Wurmples already. So when somebody asks, asks for one of those back at the town, it's a pretty easy thing to be like, yes, you can take Nameless Wurmple number five. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is made, one, possible, and two, enjoyable by the way that this game does its Pokemon catching, or basically its Pokemon exploration, finding, and catching loop. Um, as I mentioned before, you go out on expeditions in this game, and in those expeditions, you get basically like an evolved version of the wild area from Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, there are six different areas. They're all different sort of types of biomes. We'll talk a little bit more about them later probably. But you immediately see all the Pokemon wandering around completely you know, in real time. And the one innovation I love about this game is for weaker Pokemon, or most Pokemon for that matter, you don't even have to fight for the most part. You can choose either I'm going to throw a Pokemon at this Pokemon and battle it, or I'm just going to throw a Pokeball and see if I can catch it while it's unawares. And in many cases, you can catch it without a battle at all. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes those research um, tasks that you were talking about there, Josh, much more doable. Um, and not only that, but usually Pokemon are hanging out in a pack, right? Like, So if your task is to track down... Um, some sort of Pokemon like a Shinx. Uh, they're usually like three or four or five Shinxes all in one place. So if you be like, all right, I got to get 10 of these guys. So I'll, here's five right here. I'm just going to boom, 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 get all five of them. I'm halfway there. I'll find another pack of them and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, it's a very different way. Like where catching a Pokemon in a mainline Pokemon game was kind of like a triumph. In In this game, it's commodified. And so Pokemon themselves are also commodified and that you're easily able to just give them away to people. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you're kind of like the Johnny Appleseed of Pokemon here, then it's the right way to do things. I love that comparison, the Johnny Appleseed of Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That is a great thing you mentioned about being able to catch Pokemon without battles. I didn't even notice it, and uh, I guess I must have been subconsciously assuming that this was the case for all the previous Pokemons, which it very much was not, but yeah, it just makes so much sense. Um, I'll tell you what one of the things I loved about this game in terms of its um, exploration and battle was like, yes, you'd see every enemy in front of you. Um, but it was also so easy to switch which Pokemon was your first Pokemon, like mm-hmm. a couple of buttons, which, uh, given the kind of like the battle system of Pokemon, you, you mentioned they go into some more mechanical depth later on. I'm interested to hear about that, but at least at the beginning part of it, like, you know, you're going to fight up against this bird or a bug Pokemon or something like that. And you can instantly select the Pokemon that's going to do like the one hit KO on it. And it makes um, what could otherwise be a little more tedium in the battle system go by a lot more quickly when you learn to recognize these things. The battles on the overworld map that we're playing in each of these different, you know, worlds that we have, they are these different lands that we have. And, you know, you start off with your, your pretty basic grassland, your obsidian field lands, then you go to the swamp, the crimson mire lands, the coast, the cobalt coast, which has like a seashore and a volcano. You know, you can pretty easily tell, you know, what the, the Pokemon type you're coming up against, at least if you're, you know, a 30-something-year-old person who's played a bunch of Pokemon games like you or I. Um, so to that end, it, it trivializes those fights 
points and, and does make things even more easy, like catching them, battling them, uh, defeating them, all of those things make it really quick to, to rack up those research levels, which in turn improve your rank. And as we said, or as I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but uh, as you complete research levels for various Pokemons, it accrues to a st- quote-unquote star rank, which is basically your rank within the galaxy expedition team. And that allows you to... It's basically gym badges. Like, it's way this, the, the way this game does gym badges. <laughs> which is pretty nice. You don't have to go and fight anybody specifically. You just have to, you know, more or less progress through the game. That and, like, you're choosing the battles that you're fighting, right? Like, if you're a person who really likes um, focusing on one specific type of Pokemon and ringing it for all of its research points, that's a good way to advance. If you're a person who likes catching a bunch of different type of Pokemon, that's also a pretty good way to advance. Um, It doesn't really get, like, super grindy all the way through the end of the mainline story. Um, If you're continuing into, like, endgame material, yes, it absolutely will get grindy. (laughs) But, um, you know, as with all Pokemon games... Um, but, to to what you were saying about the battle, um, I thought that it did some pretty interesting things with regards to its, um, its combat in that it was much more focused on speed and strength. I don't know if you clocked this when you were playing, but it removed a bunch of moves from every Pokemon. Like if you caught a Pidgey in this game, you may have noticed it didn't come with like, um, sand spray or whatever the the use or you know rotatas didn't come with tail whip and growl and all of those useless moves that you literally never used um all the pokemon's move sets are sort of slimmed down to the ones that actually make sense and people use um hmm. yeah i've i've noticed there was no tail whip everyone's least favorite move <laughs> everyone's never used move um but no they they basically removed a lot of the the moves that basically just didn't get any use or didn't make any sense. And um, I think that's one of the other main things that like takes this off the main path. For better or for worse, all of the Pokemon games in the mainline series have a consistent sort of Pokedon, Pokemon um, lineage where like all of the Pokemon can be transferred up through all of the games after a certain generation and they all have the same moves they learn at the same levels blah 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 in this game that is all thrown out the window they slim down the pokedex entirely slim down the move sets for all the pokemon and they also added in a very interesting mechanic um you know in sword and shield they had that gigantamaxing thing which you know was kind of bolted on but didn't really make much of a difference from a strategy perspective in this game nah. every single pokemon and every single move has a fast or an agile type and a strong type and that affects the turn order that your pokemon have in battle and that can be used to pretty intense tactical advantage um later on in the game when you're fighting six on six per se oh they have six on six battles they do so as you get further in the game you will eventually come to like trainers who have full teams of pokemon and they're basically like the boss battles of the game and they are some of the harder probably the hardest pokemon battles i have ever fought like the the final one that i got to in the end game of this game was like a full six on six battle that went immediately into a legendary fight and it was really hard (laughs) like (laughs) um (laughs) you know i had a i had a full team of like level 70 pokemon that were mostly legendaries and like i was fighting a trainer then going into a legendary battle and just getting wiped immediately by the legendary in question i won't spoil it um 
it was Giratina. And uh, it was hard. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I was honestly like very surprised that this game was able to like make me someone who I, I'm pretty sure I understand how to min-max a Pokemon team. Like, you know, I've, I've been doing this a little while. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it was challenging, um, which is good to see. Like, you know, the, this system is not just frozen in time and always going to be for extremely basic things or at a very high level for online play only after, you know, hours and hours of EV training or whatever you're talking about. It is literally, you know, it is able to be pivoted to something that is both more accessible and tactically interesting for a single game purpose, uh, as shown in, in this game with that Agile and Strong Style Edition. You know, I only made it past the second Lord in this game. Um, but I will say one interesting thing I found in the battles in the wild areas beforehand were that um, you could fight two Pokemon at once. Like, if there's two of them <laughs> hanging out, then one will go help beat you up with its buddy and things like that. And that really, I think, kept the, um, the feeling of the world consistent over there. Because it's not like... You know, you fight them one-on-one -on -one like good ninjas do, you know? It's like everyone comes in at once if they can. So that was another little thing that I saw that I appreciated. Yeah, that's a good call-out. And um, I'll add to that that um, the, the etiquette for Pokemon dueling is definitely not yet established in this game because uh, a lot of the trainers in this game will send out two Pokemon at once against you as well and <laughs> um, late, later on in the game of course and you know usually they, they won't like overwhelm you. like one of them will be way stronger than the other or something like that but to your point Josh it is like showing that like they're willing to break the rules of what this normally is like in in previous games where they had duo battles it was always two on two or something like that like this game is not afraid to throw a two on one or a three on one at you and mm -hmm. um it's. I think that's another interesting thing. You mentioned also boards, um, which I think we need to talk a little bit more about um, what the sort of every area loop looks like. Let's use the Obsidian Field Lands, for example. The first area you go to, it's a sort of a large woodland field and stream along the coast with a, um, a big woods over to the side. And in that woods is the Lord of the Woods, Cleavor, who is the first Lord Pokemon. Um, basically, the inciting incident of this game is that there's a vortex that appeared at the top of the mountain at the center of the island, and it has caused all the Lord Pokemon, who the natives revere as, like, their guardian spirits or whatnot, uh, caused them kind of go crazy. And so they say, all right, you got to go and see what's going on with these lords. And so the first lord you, you go and fight, you meet its guardian, and it's like, all right, I have prepared its favorite little satchel of food. You need to go in there and throw this food at it and calm it down enough so you can subdue it. And what ensues after that is just chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this game makes a point of tutorializing earlier that, you know, Pokemon aren't just going to go after your other Pokemon, especially if you don't throw them out at, to fight them. They'll go after you, too. Um, again, mm -hmm. like um, in the lore, you know, people die to Pokemon attacks and things like that. And you hear about it in the village. 
Um, so you learn how to dodge and get out of the way of these Pokemon attacks as they're coming at you. Uh, the Lord battles take this up like five notches and make this almost more of an action RPG sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that you you called out that you have a dodge roll. Like your trainer has a dodge roll. <laughs> <laughs> so you know this Pokemon winds up to throw like a boulder at you and your Pokemon, and you realize, oh shit, that's gonna hit me. So you can dodge roll out of the way. Um, and if you do get hit by a, a couple Pokemon moves in a row, you will pass out, even if your Pokemon are fine. Um, mm-hmm. So the the game is definitely playing with the idea that these are dangerous creatures. Um, and that is no more apparent in these lore battles and also alpha Pokemon battles, but we'll talk a bit about that later. So these lore Pokemon battles, you know, you, you basically throw those little, uh, sacks of food at them until they, um, you know, chill out enough that you can throw a Pokemon at them and battle them. And eventually you defeat them and, you know, pacify the Lord. Um, and you do this for each area and they're kind of like the, the boss battles of each area. And they're, they're pretty fun. Like I, I pretty, I've quite enjoyed like those, those battles. Some of them got pretty hard. The last one in particular was a gigantic Pokemon that was, it just was like a tank. It took a long time, but it was, it was interesting. I'm Mm -hmm. really glad with the risks this game took with these sort of boss battle style encounters. And you're probably feeling happy that uh elden ring has taught you how to dodge real good this <laughs> that's right my my soul skills were put to use in this pokemon game a phrase i thought i would never utter um, <laughs> <laughs> um but to that end it's not just these um these lord pokemon that sort of enhance the sense of danger that you feel in any given area because there are also alpha pokemon and i think this is probably how most people were initially introduced to the unique aspects of of this game seeing memes on the internet of a snorlax just uh, a red-eyed snorlax using hyper beam on a poor unsuspecting pikachu and just obliterating it um, (laughs) along with its trainer um that probably happened to you it definitely happened to me but you if initially the there are pokemon that unlike a normal mainline Pokemon game, you will run into in the wild and they will just completely outmatch you. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, I like that. Like, I like that in uh, Souls games. I like that in open world games in general. Like, this is the same type of thing that I enjoy about, like, a Morrowind. If you try and go to the Red Volcano or the Red Mountain right away, you will get your ass handed to you. Uh, likewise, mm-hmm. if you initially go to an alpha Pokemon in Obsidian Fieldlands, you will get your ass handed to you. Um, it, like helps the world's internal consistency feel more earned to my mind i think it definitely promotes a type of backtracking too when you're like oh i'm clearly Mm. not supposed to be able to do anything here yet i don't know if they lean into the any like revisit old areas later on in the game outside of like end game completionist sort of things but knowing that there are challenges out there for you to fight you know uh when you're when you've done a couple of lords later, that can be a good good way to kind of go back and like bring some extra challenge to the player. You know what it is actually a really good thing for is building out a team. If you see a alpha Pokemon that you're like, oh man, I'd love to add that to my team, but it is just outside the realm of possibility right now. You come back, as you said, a couple of uh, areas later when your team is up to snuff and all of a sudden you're able to catch that alpha Pokemon. For what it's worth, alpha Pokemon are quite a bit higher stats from a base level than um, just normal evolved versions that you're able to train up. So it's worth going back and catching that alpha Snorlax and putting it on your team and, and training it up rather than just having a, a normal Snorlax. Hmm. Um, and it, um, 
as you said, it incentivizes not only like revisiting areas, but also it it makes it uh, a good way to quickly build out a team with a lot of good type matches against these uh, admittedly more challenging than normal Pokemon fights that this game is throwing at you. Well, besides the alpha Pokemon that you fight around, you also there's these kind of mini boss Pokemon. I kind of think of them as um, they let you play their play a flute or something like that, and then you're <laughs> able to ride the deer or the bear or what have you in the next areas. Uh, you do have Pokemon mounts in this game. Yeah, there there's a total of four. Um, you get your your fast travel, like basically your horse, which is the the deer. You get, as you said, a bear that can dig. Um, you get a fish that can swim. Oh, it's five, I guess. There's a, a Pokemon that can climb, so eventually you get sort of Breath of the Wild capabilities here. And then the last one you get is a flying Pokemon that basically lets you glide um, and, and glide really fast, too. So you can crisscross these large open-world maps, open-world-style maps that they give you in, in a pretty quick manner. <laughs> For what it's worth, I think some of these sort of stretch the game's capabilities, the the gliding Pokemon specifically, like you start to really notice the repeating textures that this game is employing <laughs> once you're up <laughs> in a given stage. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, 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 it looks a little less than great, but also at the same time, like, I think this game is focusing on different things than like those particular aspects i know this game got a lot of shit for its its graphics when it launched and you know rightly so this is a billion dollar company they can several billion dollars (laughs) they could probably (laughs) they can probably afford to do a little better but you know they they know where to focus their their money i suppose if i had to narrow things down to like this is the reason why this game didn't click with me um it's kind of a two-part thing the first part is the scale of the game like i felt like the open world areas were far too big uh for the amount of stuff they had in them like i feel like they did that because you have your deer horse pokemon or your gliding pokemon so they want to make them feel like oh these are okay sizes for this but then when you're out there just walking around and doing your pokemon thing then it felt just so much more empty it's kind of like you're going the difference between going through a hike in the woods down a dirt path and going to hike down an empty barren eight lane highway like (laughs) the rate at which you encounter interesting things is just so different in the two of them um and i felt like this was a little too close to the highway side of things where like they expect you to be on your horse to get around to different places and i i I felt like there wasn't enough around to. I, I totally get that. And for what it's worth, I think this is obviated later in the game once you do have a lot more travel capabilities, but that is not an excuse. You know, I am always the first to say that, like, it's good after 10 hours is, um, <laughs> it's it's a it, it's a sign of a, a game that just isn't compelling enough to, to earn your, your attention. Oh, the classic, uh, you know, it gets really good after season two. Just watch exactly. those first two. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here for that. So I totally understand where you're coming from with that. And um, I guess maybe this just hit me at the right time where I was able to push through that because I definitely felt that same friction you did early on um, for what it's worth. And um, maybe it was just because it was like 
early in the year. Not a lot of games were coming out, and I was eagerly anticipating Elden Ring coming up. <laughs> I just uh, decided it was a good time for me to, to hunker down and, and push through. And, and once once you do get on a roll here and you do have some better sort of travel capabilities, I would say that generally falls by the wayside, but, you know... Um, that isn't to excuse it at all, because I, I agree there's a bit of a pacing issue there and a bit of a an issue with um, this game sort of revealing to you what it truly is. Because um, I think it wasn't really clear from like the start. Like if you play a Pokemon game, you do come in with expectations, and this game defied a lot of them. So mm-hmm. I I'm not surprised that like people who are expecting one thing and getting another will be maybe a little less than enthused with that. Well, I think I love the idea of the open world rewarding exploration kind of game, but I felt like in this game, the exploration wasn't as rewarded. Like when you first open up that map, even before you can cross the bridge, like I pretty much explored every area in that first obsidian fields uh, that you could go to. And it's like, okay, I found a couple of alpha Pokemon here, but like, I felt like I wasn't rewarded mechanically in the terms of like, here's some treasure chests, here's some Pokemon that you don't find over here. Or I felt like I wasn't rewarded like um, artistically either. Like I didn't find any sweeping vistas or. That is kind of a classic reward in Breath of the Wild is is like, or, or Elden Ring for that matter, is like getting to the top of a, a certain area or mountain or, you know, finding a shrine in a hidden place and, and seeing the sort of world laid out before you and it's just sort of a stunning view um there's no stunning there's not really any stunning views in this game there there are times when it looks pretty but for the most part it looks serviceable and the vistas are likewise serviceable I felt like, you know, um, I'm, I'm very much an explorer kind of archetype of player. And I felt like this game wasn't, it didn't want to be explored. Or rather, it didn't want me to explore it. It was pretty neutral if I went off the beaten path or if I just mainlined it straight away. Like, um, from what I saw, I don't think I saw many, if any, Pokemon off the beaten path that wouldn't have been just on that mainline sort of thing. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I will say that that changes later on, especially once you get more ways to access different areas. And then maybe this is just belying like the part of the game you played, which again, I will not make an excuse for the opening hours of a game being like lackluster compared to the later. If anything, I think it should be the opposite. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, the path to the first lord like you can go off the beaten path and and find some uh, non-standard or non non main path pokemon like there is some variety there but you really do have to look and you know not a lot of players will do that but really i think when it shines is when you have more of those traversal options and you can go really off the beaten path i do know there were some islands i couldn't get to that you know the explorer in me was like ooh island ooh Go yeah, there. How do I they get don't there? want you there. <laughs> no, they don't want you there right now. Um, and I think, like, I think that happens in a lot of open world games. Like, you will often see the indicators of, uh, oh, I can't go there yet. 
and it never feels good. Like, when do I get the tool that allows me to access X? Um, I'm thinking about like, I guess I'll go back to our old uh, punching bag, um, something like Carrion, where it's very clear that there are, are locks and keys that are meant oh. to be accessed with a specific um, uh, ability, and you just know you don't have that ability yet. So it's like, well, I guess I'll write this down in my little post-it note here and, and file it away for later. Um, but, you know, when that post-it note is full of basically island in in this part of the map, um, mountain in that part of the map, plateau over here. Like, in Pokemon Legends Arceus, it's just way too many things that aren't quite available right off the bat, and none of them are interesting enough to make you want to come back. I think I kind of understand where you're coming from from that perspective. I think for me, the moment the game lost me was when I lost faith that, like, the curiosity I had about it would be rewarded at all. Like, or acknowledged even like there were a few too many times I went down oh look I'll go to the other side of this lake and explore and you know it it really just wasn't anything new or that I hadn't seen already like I think if they put in like uh, some treasure chests or some trainers or something in those first few areas then that could have provided something but it was almost like aggressive in how much it didn't care about that yeah i i will give you that like i think these areas got a little more interesting as they went along like the obsidian field lands and the crimson mire lands the first two areas i would say are probably my least favorite of the of the bunch <laughs> and that's again like kind of damning right like why are we saving why are we hiding our light under a bushel here um because later on you do get like that, for example, the last three areas or inaccessible areas of the first two are where, like, legendary Pokemon are eventually hiding. And um, the there are, like, temples and uh, indigenous settlements in each of those locations as well. And so, to your point, like, oh, see, all the things cool. that you're... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of where I'm saying, like, I think this game does sort of hide its light under a bushel for those first few areas. And I think, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are certain folks that will hang out in those early areas and do what the game is asking you to do and explore them and be just not rewarded for it at all. Um, and then, you know, not go to those later areas where you are getting additional traversal capabilities and then you will be rewarded for those types of things. So I think, I, like, I think there's a, a just a, a poorly doled out advancement system here perhaps that i'm probably too far removed um to to recognize at this point i would say not even advancement system but just like any sort of acknowledgement that there's any there there like um you know obsidian fields saw a bunch of plateaus let's say there's a legendary bird pokemon on top of one of them um maybe you could have like a simple like tornado animation that comes in like storms or something happened there so you're like oh there's a thing there um you can note it and you can come back when it's more on but like yeah i felt like i just wasn't seeing enough potential um to be fulfilled in terms of exploration yeah i think i think that's fair like the, the game paints a picture of what it could be that isn't really like colored in until probably too late for many players 
Um, but this is again Pokemon, so they have the hubris of a thousand suns, right? Like, <laughs> oh, they got the profit of a thousand sun microsystems. Exactly. Let's say <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, let's just like revert back to the whole crass commercial aspect of this. This was like the best-selling game of early 2022 until Elden Ring came out. Um, hmm. It it basically um, was continuously the best-selling game. Um, of it was January's same best-selling in February, sixth in March, and second best-selling game during the first quarter of 2022, second to Elden Ring. So we're talking about a game that did fine. Obviously, it's a Pokemon game. <laughs> um, literally, they cannot fail at this point. <laughs> the marketing <laughs> is too strong. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, like what that meant for this game is that they were a little bit too confident in themselves despite how much they changed like i think a little bit better onboarding to this style of pokemon game could have made it a bit more successful does that make sense no i hear you um i I feel like it wasn't the onboarding the onboarding was fine in this one i feel like yeah they just um maybe hid too much away later on um part of the things like the more difficult battles coming later on sure i get that i've i never got to a point where i was considering oh should i do an agile move or a strong move sometimes i do the quick move because i could see i get two in but it wasn't like i don't think i ever did a strong move because the battles never lasted long enough to really necessitate that yeah, I can, I can say that it, it gets more tactically interesting later on. Um, but, you know, I already went over that. So, yeah, I, I get it. And at the end of the day, like, the there are some there are some post-initial endgame things here that are, are quite interesting. I think the the sort of mainline game, like, that what will, what will get you to the first time you see credits is pretty great. Like, after, I guess, after the first initial sort of getting your feet under you and, and finding a few different traversal options. Like, I think once you get the, the fish that lets you go over water, um, that, like, sort of opens up a whole new world for this game. I think it was really, it, it, I think it was a little bit misguided to hide the ability to go over water so late. Like, you have to get to the third area before you get your your fish Pokemon. Uh, it's literally a fish with bicycle handles that you get to ride around on. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, like maybe that should have been something that came a little earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I might come back to this as well. Like, I had, I had, I felt like I played enough for the cast here, but you're saying there's meat on the bones I haven't reached yet. And if my complaint was, I'm not sure if there's meat on the bones here, then I think that's a fair fair reason to maybe get back into it. I will say that um, what does come later bears a strong resemblance flavor-wise to what is already there now for you. Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to see like entirely different uh mechanics come into play but you will see a lot more of the world and a lot more variety i think um and that is is valuable in itself but you know the game's not going to completely transform it's just going to become a richer version of what's already there i would say all right all right one thing that i think also gets more rich as you go on is the way that that um jubilee village evolves and and for uh, for that matter um <laughs> how you can sort of 
evolve within it. Like there are lots of unlockables within that village. You get a lot of uh, ability to customize your character. Uh, you know me, I'm a sucker for character customization. So the main thing <sighs> I was using all of the the cash that was being paid out to me for discovering Pokemon was on outfits. Um, I got lots of, of cool swag. Um, eventually I was looking like uh, some goofy dude in a uh, sort of kimono and a bowler hat. I was kind of like the Pokemon trainer Walter White. Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very nice. Yeah, I liked... Um, I felt like there wasn't much to do with your money besides spending it on like these customization sort of things, and I liked that. Oh, oh, one thing I didn't like was the inventory management that the game oh. had you do. Completely yeah. misguided. Yeah, the game has a crafting system, kind of primitive one, uh, but... Or not primitive, but more simple. Like it's add two things together um, and you get to get a better Pokeball or you get to have a type of, I don't know, um, Pokemon bait or something like that, Um, which that's fine on its own. I never had to really interact with that system myself. I'm not sure if you did or not, but I will tell you what I did not like was you could only hold like 20 items in your satchel at a time (laughs) of all the crafting items you might come across. So I feel like that really like pumped the brakes on any, oh, hey, here's a cool piece of wood I found. Here's this cool stick I found on the floor. Maybe I can use it for crafting. Oh, wait, no, I don't have enough space in my bag for it. I will say that there is a resolution to that, and it is also completely misguided. So I, uh, <laughs> I don't have good news for you here. So I don't know if did you find the guard in the main uh, Jubilife Town Hall that will increase your inventory space? Oh, buy one for an increasing amount of money each time. Like exactly. No, let an me get let me get more clothes, man. Let me get more clothes. An incredible amount of money to increase by one inventory slot. At, the, at a time it is just wild how much money they are asking you for one inventory slot <laughs> um i think we should do away with inventories in general like i don't find this to be an interesting mechanic unless it is literally the focus of the game um do you mean so, inventory management or in like management yeah okay so just like infinite inventory yeah unless it is like a pointed mechanic of the game like a central thing that you need to be managing like i guess i'm thinking of like death stranding your inventory is important there it's literally like the mechanic by which you are transporting goods and things across the landscape um or resident evil which is all about like the survival limited inventory survival games yes this is not a survival game i think i was kind of when they introduced the crafting over here especially with some of the tutorials they had on it, I was thinking it was going to be a stronger part of the game, and it ended up being something that was like, I don't even want to say it was optional, because it just takes longer to do that than to spend money at the shop to buy the stuff instead. Um, maybe there's like <laughs> stuff friction. later on. Yeah, maybe there's stuff later on which like, oh, you can craft the ultra golden balls or whatever, but like, yeah, it's like... um. You you guessed it that that is actually the the case. <laughs> so <laughs> there there eventually are like um, I guess uh, probably almost a dozen different types of pokeballs and like there <clears throat> there are evolutions of different types. Like there are ones that will literally travel in a straight line like a laser that you're used to catch flying Pokemon. There are ones that are super heavy that are used to like um, you could sneak up and quickly subdue a Pokemon and if they have high catch rates. There are ones that 
you know, there's your standard Ultra Ball, which just is like a Pokeball, but costs more to craft. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think this is another area where, like, I think it was an interesting pivot, but it was poorly implemented in that you're absolutely right. The inventory management aspect was at best misguided and at worst unnecessary friction. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, so I, I totally agree with that. Like, this, this is one of those games that I think was experimenting with a lot of things and kind of just stepped in it in a few places. Uh, it's not like they have billions and billions of dollars to do market research and stuff like that on these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably probably the other giant video game franchise we're thinking about. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. I was talking a little bit about earlier, you know, once you get through to the end of the game, you know, eventually you're asked to sort of team up with either the Pearl Clan or the Diamond Clan, and, you know, full spoiler warnings off here. Um, the, it doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, it's, it is an interesting thing to make you, like, go down the path of one or the other. They sort of have their own specific mantras, but at the end of the day, you will face either Dialga or Palkia, the two legendaries from uh, the Diamond and Pearl games, but you will get a chance to catch them both, so it does, it, you know, it's kind of <laughs> interesting for the story purposes, but eventually, you know, mechanically moot. Um, and then you see credits, and then the game comes back and it's like, but wait, um, turns out there's this uh, opportunity for you to gather these plates and find out what's really going on with, you know, that vortex that you just closed at the top of the mountain. And um, lo and behold, it's the evil god Pokemon, Giratina, that sort of caused all of this stuff to happen. Um, Quote unquote evil, because, I don't know, it seems kind of evil to pluck a dude out of his life and throw him back in time and strand him there 500 years (laughs) in the past, too. So, you know, we're we're talking shades of gray here, I think. (laughs) No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the game, like, does have a lot for you to do after its initial credits run. And even up until that sort of post-game epilogue section, there's another post-game after that, which involves, like, the true catch-em-all goal. And if you do that, which, you know, I did not. I just looked up what what happens after that because there's no way I'm spending another 30 hours in this game. Um, It, you know, you do eventually end up, like, getting in the face down with Arceus and and getting uh, the opportunity to quote-unquote catch God um, which, you know, uh, is kind of what every Final Fantasy protagonist wants to do, I guess, right? <laughs> protagonist, antagonist, you know, it's a fine line. Yeah, everything in between. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot here. I think this this game hews a lot more closely to, like, maybe the the JRPG or Monster Hunter loop and sort of game feel for me than it does a Pokemon one. Like, I think... A lot of people I've heard characterize this game as like Pokemon Cross Monster Hunter, and I I kind of agree with that. You know, having played Monster Hunter World and Rise over the course of the last couple of years, pretty quick succession, I would say the loop is very similar between this game and and those. And I I'm glad that they are trying out this new sort of way of you know letting you experience the world of Pokemon and. Uh, you know, I haven't played, neither of us have played Scarlet or Violet yet, as I understand. And I've heard they kind of backtracked on some of the more progressive aspects of this game's battle system and the open world as well. 
while also adding some different ones that are, you know, also cool and interesting. So I think like they have yet to sort of put it all together with these Pokemon games, you know? Interesting to say that about a franchise that's been around for two decades. I mean, <laughs> closer to three now, right? No, you're right. Um, we're heading towards three decades. Uh, Ninety, what was it? Ninety six or something like 96. that. Ninety six. Yeah, we're heading towards three. Um, to that end, I don't know. I mean, has anyone really put it all together? Um, for my money, only Elden Ring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that, let's uh, gather up our thoughts and catch them all with a three-word review. All right, my three-word review for this game is an oversized experiment. Pokemon Legends Arceus made some bold changes to the by-now formulaic Pokemon series. I like to see game developers strike out in new directions. I applaud them for that, even if this game didn't quite land for me. The open world that opened before you was too open and at times felt empty. It was created to be traversed on your mount, but the scale, which was necessitated by your mount's size and speed, it wasn't filled with interesting things to find. You would of course find your wild Pokemon wandering around, but never really doing anything besides waiting to battle or to run away. The crafting system was hobbled by an overly restricted inventory management system and by not having enough of a payoff with your products. In the end, I felt like the uh, the formulaic combat of Pokemon combined with the game's narrow focus on combat and capture didn't justify the size and weightlessness of the world. In the end, I'm surprised myself by preferring the tried-and-true formula of Pokemon Sword over the bolder choices of Arceus. Hmm, that was actually a question I was going to have for you, and uh, I guess we got our answer. Um, <laughs> I have a very similar three-word review, but maybe in a different direction. My three-word review is a successful experiment. <laughs> <laughs> when a franchise has over 20 years of history and each entry is expected to be a viable entry point for a new generation of eventual fans, it's easy to dismiss each new Pokemon game as an incredibly incremental iteration on a formula. And for the most part, you would be right. Legend Arceus is the exception that proves the rule, throwing out the gyms and badges structure for a more freeform exploration and collection-focused experience that injects a healthy dose of modern game design into the tried-and-true Pokemon formula was the shot in the arm the series needed from my perspective. I can't say it was a complete success, but overall, Legends Arceus is a step in a new direction for the franchise that adds a great deal of depth, simplification, and modern convenience that the core series has lacked. If we're treating Arceus Legends as an experiment for a new way to structure a beloved franchise, I would say it's a successful one, one that can hopefully be interpreted as an urge to go further and, ex and experiment even more boldly with the Pokemon concept. So I guess I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. Like I think you went far, not far enough. But um, I would definitely play any sequel to this game. I'd be excited for it. Even just iterating on this, I feel, would be, like, where it needs to go. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I think as an experiment, it felt good as, like, the one of the main products of a multi-billion dollar brand and franchise, probably a little lackluster. But um, that's what you get when you play a Pokemon game these days. Um, <laughs> an, an, an endless series of compromises. <laughs> um, 
what's the the joint three word review? Something along the lines of an endless compromise. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, But at any rate, um, while we're waiting for that uh, eventual uh, Pokemon open world triumph, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. Take care and keep on gaming. Unending compromise. (laughs) (laughs) Just what I'm excited to play this year. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Um, I think literally one of the things I pointed out about Elden Ring was that it was uncompromised. And here we are uh, talking about how compromised it is. You know, know, we both liked the way they were going with it. It sounds like you soldiered on a little farther than I did, and you found, you know, the game caught you a little more than it caught me, which is fine. I think it's both of those things. Like, it got better later on, and I think the core loop kind of did it. I didn't realize how much, like, the... I mentioned that I found the Pokemon character designs a little lackluster. Like, um, I think I saw... What, like the uh, the bird Pokemon that I caught, and I'm like, oh, it's another bird Pokemon. <laughs> it looks like a Pidgey, but it's a little angrier, like American Kirby. <laughs> the American Kirby of Pidgeys? Um, mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, I think this is like your not um, having experienced like generations three through six coming out here so like a four mm-hmm. generation gap and it, i'd imagine it all it maybe felt a little like off-brand pokemon to you um but which i don't know i i, I mean it's totally understandable like when you think of pokemon you probably think of a different thing than i do like i had i had more familiarity with most of the pokemon in this game thanks to like you know maybe playing a couple more generations and and it could be the thing too where um this is the first like two in a row Pokemon games I've played. Um, Before that, there was a solid decade or two, again, before playing Red, Blue, and playing Sword, Shield. So so it wasn't three generations, it was six generations. (laughs) Only six? I would have guessed more. So what is Sword and Shield? Is that generation seven or eight? Wikipedia probably knows the answer. I'm finding out right now. It is generation eight, so there were six generations between the Pokemon games you played. You played one, and then you played eight. Um, so yeah, I it was, could be like yeah. a lot of new Pokemon types and quality of life improvements and things like that. So I probably saw, like I knew that Sword wasn't the innovator on a lot of that stuff, but it was still new to me then. So I'm wondering if part of this was just like, oh, well I pay- played a Pokemon game last year. That seems too soon. So what what I'm hearing is uh, we'll see you again in another in another decade. 
or next year. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the pace of innovation, I suppose, right? (laughs) There we go. There we go. So a little bit earlier, we were talking about the ridiculous amounts of money that Pokemon has made. Um, Looked at a Wikipedia list, and according to them, Pokemon is the second most successful, by terms of revenue, uh, media franchise of all time. I'll let you try to guess the first one. Uh, Pokemon's at $71 and the uh, first place is at $73.7 Marvel Comics. Uh, nope. Marvel is... The MCU is at $40.8 billion. Oh. Hmm. Um, okay. Let me think again. Um, Super Mario? Oh, no. Mario. I don't even see Mario yet. Okay. Let's, let us let me try and guess again. Um, there's something very obvious that I'm missing here. Um, so it's a media property. Yeah, there's a couple of obvious ones, and they're both wrong. So Marvel is only, I think, 7th or 8th, because they're pretty recent in terms of things. So we're talking about something long-standing. Is it like Disney, like Mickey Mouse? Mickey Mouse clocks in at number 3 with six point six or $66 billion. 66, the number of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually 66.7, and I think they probably rounded up there. (laughs) Almost definitely. (laughs) All right. Um, Hmm. No, I can't can't guess the the one. What is it? Clocking in at number one at $73.7 billion is Winnie the Pooh. What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the the, the (laughs) gangbusters media franchise of Winnie the Pooh. I'm confused. (laughs) How is this calculated? Does the Winnie the Pooh uh, was like Winnie the Pooh authored by like the nephew of the Queen of England and now like the Queen's estate owns Winnie the Pooh or something like that or what's what's going Uh, on? It says that retail sales is 73.45 billion dollars over the years. It says let 2018 they took in 1.6 billion in retail sales winnie the pooh the most popular media property over pokemon and mickey mouse and star wars that's bizarre oh star wars <laughs> duh. that was what, what, what? I'm, I'm, I'm still i still don't understand that how is winnie the pooh bringing in that much cash like what is what is the recurring revenue for winnie the pooh look like I don't even know. Stuffed animals, maybe? I mean, that would be like a significant amount of like Disney's bottom line is Winnie the Pooh. Uh, it probably is if they're clocking a billion and a half a year. I think we need to do more research on this. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm skeptical about including this in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ask Google here. <laughs> yeah, where are you seeing this information? Winnie the Pooh.com. <laughs> Wikipedia. 
You know that meme where they show uh, Winnie the Pooh in a tuxedo? That's all I have going through my head right now. The Winnie the Pooh tuxedo <laughs> meme. <laughs> gotta get up, I gotta get going. I'm gonna see a friend of mine. He's round and he's fuzzy. I love him because he's just Pooh Bear Winnie the Pooh.